0: Welcome to Trade Finance Talks, a podcast from Trade Finance Global. During this series, we'll be hearing from global experts, as well as learning about the latest trends, technology and insights in the world of international trade and receivables finance. Episode 73. The transition that I mentioned really starts, as Adam's mentioned as well, with the ability to look at the vessels that are moving the cargoes and the transactions you're financing. And nobody is making a stipulation of financing right now.
1: We're seeing interest rate reductions being given to some clients simply for the act of measuring their emissions. Banks have been offering basis points discounts to their interest rates on lines of finance.
2: My name is Dipesh Patel, Editor at Trade Finance Global. Now, the IPC's latest report on climate change was crystal clear. We must take action. Both corporates and consumers alike must decide that this is the time to act. However, with an industry that can be characterised by blockages, shortages, and frustration? How can industry participants take action to increase sustainability? Could increased regulations and sanctions be the solution to greening up the maritime industry? Or does that just add additional complexity? And how can companies avoid falling into the greenwashing trap and truly create a sustainably based business model. Today, to discuss sanctions, sustainability, and climate risk in the shipping and maritime space, I'm delighted once again to be joined by Simon Ring, Global Head of Maritime Trade Operations and ESG at Polestar, as well as Adam Hearn, CEO at Carbon Chain. Both, welcome to Trade Finance Talks. Thank you, Dipesh.
0: Good to be here. Yes, equally. Nice to catch up with you again, Dipesh, for a long time.
2: It has been a very long time. So a quick introduction to our listeners once again. If you guys can give a very quick elevator pitch. Who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? Simon, over to you.
0: Thank you. Um, Simon Ring, pleasure to be with you all today. I head up the regulatory technologies for a company called Polestar. Essentially, as a company, we work across three different verticals. The shipping industry, about 1,200 customers in 100 different countries, variations of our technology that they use in that sector. The government sectors with postcards, flag of the majority of the major flags using our technologies. In my specific field, the areas around banking, commodity and trade finance. And following what we've seen in May of 2020, the OFAC guidance issued by US Treasury State Department Coast Guard, a real uptick in interest in automated digital compliance solutions across literally the entire supply chains. So ship management companies, bunker providers, insurers and many others. And of course, we've been working collectively with our colleagues, Alliance partners, was a carbon chain for probably two years now. Maybe we saw what is literally come so quickly. Coming a bit sooner than others, but the work that we've been doing, I think, is programs and processes that we're, we're launching and releasing collectively across the sectors and I'm very excited having just got back from Geneva as well. And This seemed to be the, the central topic of conversation around sustainability in, in global trade and specifically what we're t- talking about today, shipping.
2: Thanks very much, Simon. And Adam, over
1: to you. Thank you. Adam Hearn, CEO and co-founder of Carbon Chain, originally from Australia and And originally from the mining and supply chain uh, industries, particularly with Amazon. I was uh, looking after the European supply chain with that firm and with Rio Tinto for 12 years prior to that. That really gave me an insight into the most intensive supply chains in the world in terms of carbon emissions. Over half of the world's annual emissions are from this area and gave the inspiration to actually create carbon chain as a way to automate accounting of these emissions in a truly critical time as we try to to mitigate climate change.
2: Thanks very much. And Adam, can you just go into a bit more of a, a deeper dive? Obviously, supply chains around mining, minerals and, and raw materials are still incredibly important, but there is also the customer need and the business imperative to rethink ESG and sustainability when it comes to supply chains. So can you give a quick overview on carbon chain?
1: Yeah, you've touched upon a good point here, which is we basically need to measure our carbon emissions across global industries right now, and supply chains are the glue of global trade as the uh, coronavirus pandemic illustrated very well. We Carbon chain basically automates the accounting of carbon emissions in these complex supply chains end to end. So we have an incredibly comprehensive database where we've looked at most of the assets around the world. And in some sectors, we have full coverage. And we really look at what is the emissions from cradle to gate of all of these raw material areas, so metals and minerals, oil and gas, and agriculture. And we can appreciate it from both sides, having been in industry myself. I understand what it's like to be a company producing the materials that help make modern life work, but at the same time seeing the um, requirement for companies to reduce these emissions. The lesson I could share from having that perspective is that the transition is happening, but it needs to be done in a fair way, and to increase fairness of this transition, we need to to create transparency and that's where Carbon Chain really comes in as an independent reporter of carbon emissions.
2: Thanks very much. And Simon, can you go into a little bit more detail about some of the Polestar products that relate to this? So perhaps Purple Track that we talked about last time and then some of the others. And also a lot of people know Polestar through some of its traditional maritime tracking and vessel related tracking operation. How has the company needed to pivot to align with some of the items that Adam mentioned
0: earlier? That's a great point because collaboration is key. What Adam won't tell you because he's far too modest is a couple of years ago, Time and Chain were the headline act at Y Combinator in Silicon Valley, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest tech events in the world. So we were pretty sure that we were collaborating and joining forces with the right party way back then. And as Adam's mentioned, the immensity of the data that they've collated over the last few years is really coming to fruition in what we're trying to achieve together. Outside of a lot of the other technology Technologies that, that PurpleTrack provides to industry. PurpleTrack is primarily a, a digital sanctions compliance solution and it's used extensively, as I mentioned, across supply chains. But specifically, in its first role, was working with major Tier One banks and some of the major commodity traders. A lot of those in the world. What we've tried to solution here over the past year and a half, essentially a collaboration that gives a single service solution. Most of our clients outside of kind of end-to-end, you know, mining, farming, extraction, talk to us about 70% of their carbon footprint being in maritime transportation. Maritime transportation is the lifeblood. It's, you know, we all starve and freeze without it. as well reported. But effectively, although shipping is, is determined at around 25 to 3% of global carbon emissions, if it were a country, it'd be the biggest political in the world so it's not a small one it's not a small issue when you put those things together every client that we speak to is looking for automation and being able to use a single-service solution. So the idea of sustainability and sanctions compliance of a single-service solution with the automation that our clients are used to within Purple track has led us now to release our first feature. It's a phased approach as we're looking at all of this in terms of using the carbon chain data. So when clients are screening a vessel in 5, 10 seconds to look at the compliance of financial crime and sanctions risks that relate to that transactional vessel that's being used, we can now surface a comprehensive report on the actual carbon emissions, peer groups, rankings, deltas to various um, principles already in the markets in the same time span. So that's the first phase of what we've done together. And obviously, we're going to stretch that out to look at the actual transactions themselves with vessels and essentially look at kind of end-to-end solutions that Adam's talked about. So that's the plan. And we've done a lot of work already in regards to this. So as I've mentioned in Geneva, when we were talking to clients, simplicity, automation is key. And we think this is a really good start.
2: Let's just take a bit of a step back because we've also seen a lot of turmoil in global shipping and the maritime space and this chaos doesn't appear to be slowing down. Can you kind of overlay some of the impacts that that's had on clients and what they're requesting to you, perhaps from a sanctions and a compliance perspective?
0: I think we started to see this way back in about 2015. The United Nations put out the first and only advisories I'm aware of on sanctions in the maritime sector. There's been a whole slew of regulators, the MAS, HMA, now obviously the US last year putting out a lot more guidance. I think guidance is a word that one can use, but I think clearly the industry has taken these as requirements rather than guidance. The US State Department, as I mentioned, Coast Guard and, and obviously Treasury and the Office of Foreign Asset Control came up with a revised version of requirements in May of 2020, which did raise the bar. It looks at a multitude of, of aspects in terms of ships, their sanctionable status, their owners and operators, countries of origin, domicile control, and control. And on top of that, obviously, where they've been in, in the past 12, 24 months. So there's a whole range of new guidance that technologies had to adapt and build in for customers. And also on top of that, the reality is that this was pretty much privy to. The bigger trading institutions and financing banks and institutions in industry, and it's quite clear now that guidance was geared to a whole much wider range of actors and players in industry, as we've seen starting to adopt these kinds of solutions. You know, We screen and monitor 8,500 ships every day for the Panama Flag Administration, for example, for these kinds of risks. So it's widening the scope and focus across industry and obviously being able to deal with these things in an automated digital format that records, generates an audit trail is always key to getting that right. Thanks, Simon.
2: And Adam, from a sustainability perspective, what are the key trends that you've seen? And if we take a look back perhaps at the past decade or so, given your experience,
1: what's changed? So I think I'll quote a UN-backed study here where they collaborated with the Principles for Responsible Investment and the research several years ago had findings that carbon tax and regulations are coming. However, they've been delayed more than what was anticipated. So when they do come, they're going to be abrupt and they're going to be making up for lost time. So the message there is be ready for this regulatory moment. That is just making up for lost time. And I think that will create a, a fair bit of disruption, but it's off the back of years of these COP events and a lot of industry activists trying to get traction. So we're seeing this kind of like a rising tide of regulation. What does that look like in material terms? Carbon tax basically proliferating in very different jurisdictions, but with a similar trend of getting a carbon tax in place and making that tax increase over time. We're seeing a lot of countries set targets. Uh, This is something that's in the media a lot at the moment, decarbonizing a country, getting to net zero by 2050 is sort of the most common one. And there's usually an interim goal like 50% of CO2 emissions reduced by 2030 or 2035. So a lot of targets driving these actions and it's cascading down from governments to multinationals to their suppliers and the broader ecosystem. And finally, I would say that over the last 10 years, we've seen the impact on liquidity. It started off years ago with these kind of CSR type loans, then kind of moved into green bonds. Now we're seeing sustainability linked loans where financial institutes are offering an interest rate reduction in some cases Cases for companies that simply measure their emissions so they can finally get to grips with what is the carbon risk associated with their business. And in some cases, we're seeing a loss of access to liquidity where the facilities that a company would have liked to access are no longer easily obtainable because they aren't doing their emissions reporting, which is still voluntary in a lot of countries, but is moving more towards this semi-mandatory privately enforced model. And uh, that's quite a trend that I think is worth everyone, all the listeners keeping an eye on, which is when does that reporting affect them for their country and for the jurisdictions that they deal with?
2: Sure. And I think we're seeing regularly that really is becoming the business imperative. And the IPCC climate change report issued some stark warnings. And we've already seen governments around the world I guess, setting very ambitious targets that you mentioned earlier. How do companies such as Polestar and Carbon Chain and that partnership help address this
1: challenge, Adam? So it's a really good example between these two companies of a collaboration. And for all of these actions that need to be taken, it's a function of how well you can connect with your supply chains and your industry in ways that traditionally weren't, I guess, best practice. And again, quoting coronavirus, we saw that in some cases, supply chains needed to radically interact in ways they hadn't done. To overcome obstacles, and it's no different here. So, uh, collaboration with Polestar is actually quite incredible in that when you're looking at maritime trade, the screening moment that happens on Purple Track is almost the perfect portal into global trade, a majority of the world's emissions. So if you're seeing what's on the vessel, which we can do with bill of lading or other information from customers, at that point, we can then measure emissions. And so in simple terms, what gets managed? And so we have to start off doing that measurement so that companies can see what trying to mitigate. And the best way to do that is collaborating broadly and Working with Polestar is a good example of that and making products that customers can use very quickly. So we can now provide emissions information into the Purple Track platform so that customers don't have yet another piece of technology to use, but with already existing tools can get that evolving tool set that they need to stay ahead of regulation.
2: Simon, what role can trade authorities and regulators also continue to influence and impact those environmental policies and also reporting requirements? Yeah,
0: I think, as Adam mentioned, you know, clarity from regulators is key in terms of timing and and expectations. In the wider context, when you look at, I mentioned a very important word earlier on, which is transition. There's a world of information and data and and a big focus in these areas. Essentially, I think we've taken a view that if you look at the mainstream commodity, but the bigger banks and the trading groups, there's there's an even requirement immediately there. But it doesn't just stop there. I think what we'll see is an evolution from financing to, I don't know, uh, for example, a trade solution, a trade platform that isn't interested in these kinds of solutions end to end. I think the insurance industry will look at greener, sustainable premiums. I think ports, flag administrations, even, you know, with tonnage tax reductions. So sustainability across trade comes in different formats. I think it starts with financing and in mainstream industry and commodities, but it doesn't stop there. And I think what we're going to see is an evolution across a multitude of sectors across the entire trade kind of ecosystems of supply chains. But again, the, the ability and adaptability of, of what we put together with these two pieces of technology can work really well in all of those areas.
2: Simon, can you run our audience through some of the key benefits of these ESG initiatives, both from a corporate
0: perspective and a client perspective? From our perspective, what we're hearing from mainstream clients is, as I mentioned earlier on, certainly in the the main sort of commodity trading sectors is people assimilate something like 70% of their carbon footprint to shipping. So it's a big deal. The transition that I mentioned really starts, as Adam's mentioned as well, with the ability to look at the vessels that are moving the cargoes and the transactions you're financing. And nobody is making a stipulation of financing right now. So it's purely guidance to say, we've screened this transaction, this particular vessel in its peer group, so let's say it's 398 out of 400 ships. Are there other options? So it's guidance rather than the definitive yes or no's at this stage. But for big institutions with lots and lots of people working globally, you know that transition does take some time. So this phased approach to shipping in terms of screening, the actual monitoring, obviously we monitor a lot of vessels for thousands of people around the world, clients, and then the end-to-end solutions is, is the goal. And I think you'd be hard pushed to do this. Any company can't do this on their own. Picking your right partners, getting the right collaborations with the right technology that provides single service solutions, digital solutions. to so this is, is where the industry is going. And we have to think that we have a, a very powerful offering in this collaboration.
2: Adam, I'll pass over
1: to you. Yes, yeah, thanks, Pesh. We're seeing interest rate reductions being given to some clients simply for the act of measuring their emissions. Banks have been offering basis points discounts to their interest rates on lines of finance, which is an incredible once in a generational event. It's, it's almost like the banks are trying to subsidize getting that information because it's just not there. And that's one of the levers they can pull. We're also seeing the need for improved compliance, which is where the collaboration comes in to Simon's point before how you need to really stay ahead of it here. So Mm -hmm. this improves that compliance and it also helps the companies reduce risks from a profile assessment and avoid penalties that are coming up, whether they be future EU carbon border uh, adjustments that need to be done or just actual properly reporting of your emissions. Another benefit to using Carbon Chain and our platform is the uh, avoiding of overspending on carbon offsets. So if you've tried as much as you can to reduce your emissions and you need to then use offsets to reduce further, we, uh, by getting very accurate accounting done, then you can optimize your capital expenditure there and make sure you don't overspend on offsets without having the risk of greenwashing or being stated as greenwashing because you might be uh, under underspending on your reduction initiatives.
2: Sure. Thank you. And I think there are really clear, tangible benefits there around interest rate reduction. I know you mentioned before the fact that you can access finance because the larger banks are retracting funding certain business models. There's that improved compliance piece. There's the carbon adjustments and reporting the overspend on carbon offsetting carbon versus greenwashing. So lots of advantages there. Simon, can you give any real use cases or even better case studies from a client perspective where they can benefit out of the Polestar and Carbon Chain offer? So say if I'm a lender, perhaps, and I'm looking for certain reporting on behalf of my clients, how can the Carbon Chain Polestar partnership actually help that lender? Yeah.
0: Well, I'll let Adam talk about the case study, which is a really interesting one, which was done about six or eight weeks ago. But one of the challenges for bigger institutions is how you implement these kinds of new programs and processes. You've got in most of the big institutions now, you've got sustainability teams, ESG teams, you've got people working and looking at solutions solutioning. When you actually talk to clients, that's a big challenge. How do we get people, business lines to actually adopt and change and do these things and start generating the important as Adam mentioned, you know, measurements to manage these exposures. And we learned very quickly that sometimes, you know, simple ideas are the best ones. Our digital compliance solutions, Purple Track, is used by relationship managers, financing banks, but it's also used by chart training operations and compliance teams across the commodity industry. And actually by surfacing the information that people as they require it in terms of these new programs of work in that same UI or API program of work is very simple. A case, an example here is to screen a vessel for sanctions and financial crime risk or purple track is it takes seconds. It's a single field of data entry point. From that singular piece of data entry, you can now get a carbon score for the vessel, a comprehensive one by including the carbon chain data. If you're putting the tool in the hands of the people that need to implement these processes, you're really short-fusing what could be a difficult program of work for industry to adopt it. So we see that as a very simple and, and easy way to help institutions, big and small actually, to improve what they're doing currently. Adam, over to you if you want to talk about the case study more recently, right? Yeah, thank you. I think the
1: usage of the platform is a very good uh, case in point. So you're logging on to Purple Tractor Screener Vessel. And as Simon Mentioned, you can get a rating for your vessel. So we just tell you what the emissions are for that vessel on average based on the type of the ship and its individual emission factors. So we have 130,000 emission factors in our database for the fleet of commercial ships that we're focused on. Now, someone who is maybe chartering a vessel can see which vessel is greener. And when you're trying to decarbonize your supply chains, there are very few levers that you really have without spending massive amounts of money. But one of the opportunities that the low hanging fruit as we could say, or maybe even the fruit on the ground, is to just pick a greener ship. So giving that information to hand at the time of vessel selection is very powerful. And I think the uh, bank's feedback has been quite clear in that they need to be able to show that they can drive actions. And by encouraging this sort of green decision by um, charterers to happen is a way that they can show that there is a lever to shift the market and to start uh, slowly supporting a greener fleet in this case.
2: As we round this podcast to a close, I want to ask you both really see the maritime industry going in the next months. And Simon, I know you've just come back from TXF Geneva, so perhaps you can pull on a few of the insights that you were hearing from some of our industry partners. Simon, how about we get kickstarted with you?
0: The topic of conversation, the central one, was around this. It was around sustainability and ESG. I think from our perspective, we see ourselves as the G in terms of the governance piece, which is crucial. But I think one of the big game changes that that I saw was the fact that nothing would be worse going backwards to be you know, under investigation by a regulator, especially a bigger one in this in that context. But sustainability holds the same kind of reputational risks now for big institutions. So the big change for me was that we see regulation coming in two formats. It's there in terms of financial crime teams and so on and and sanctions, but it's there as well in in, in form of the regulation. that is fast approaching around sustainability. Our end goal, I think between myself, Adam, and both companies is the understanding that as we work more closely together, we actually are able to automate and streamline that end to end solution. So shipping, intermodal transport, mining, extraction, farming, the whole slew of requirements. We think we can deliver all of that in a single service. And that's the goal. We're very close to achieving that. Great. And
1: Adam, over to you. Thank you. Yeah. In the next 12 to 18 months, I see a few trends potentially affect the maritime industry. I guess, firstly, to set the scene, you've got um, most countries and major companies around the world setting their net zero targets and requiring urgent action in the short term to get things started. In saying that, though, I do think shipping is or maritime is quite good at trying to manage those pressures of regulators. And I do see a bit of pushback happening. And so the EU emissions trading system was trying to bring shipping into their um, cap and trade system, but they might be able to push that out. That was meant to happen in 2023. And we'll have to watch closely the headlines as to how that plays out. But assuming it doesn't impact maritime as much, so let's take a position that they can push it out. We've still a lot of experience at Carbon Chain with seeing how many massive multinational companies are just requesting this information. So if you're chartering vessels in future, you might not have to report this info to a central authority, but you're probably going to have to report it to a major charterer that you you're supplying to, whether it be your IKEA's or Amazon's or other big players. They're just now flexing that corporate muscle, which is, I think, Often the success for very good regulation longer term is when you see private companies figuring out what really needs to happen before we're creating policy. And uh, that helps us, I guess, avoid the worst situation, which is where regulators take action without that collaboration. But I do think in the next 12 to 18 months, we'll see the force of corporate proactiveness, getting that carbon reporting to be in place and then having a market affected by it.
2: Thank you very much. I think that carbon reporting piece is, is pretty crucial to get right because otherwise you'll end up with a whole multitude of different reports Requirements, different corporates using different reportings and standards, and that probably will add a bit more confusion to the industry as well. Adam and Simon, thank you very much for joining us. Really, what quite is an important topic of discussion around sustainability and ESG and climate change within what is a heavy contributor to carbon emissions—that is the maritime and shipping space. We definitely move what is a nice to have to a business imperative, and it's really important to keep an eye on the, the ever quickly changing regulatory and compliance perspective that's affecting the industry quite a lot. But I think there are lots of really exciting items coming onto the agenda, particularly around the importance of some of these technology-enabled partnerships, which are really enabling Carbon Chain and Polestar to partner together to offer really viable solutions to your corporate customers. So thank you very much for joining us on Trade Finance Talks. We look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, Dipesh. Thank you. Pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Trade Finance Talks. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts at tradefinanceglobal.com.